in all honesty, I never realized how incredibly charismatic Brad Pitt is until I saw him in scenes with Channing Tatum. Where mm-hmm. he was supposed to be the romantic lead, but in fact, he was actually just working for the bad guys the whole time. Because he changed so dramatically. What kind of ape is Channing Tatum? <laughs> Don't Encourage Us, the podcast where we talk about the big ideas and fiction projects of all different kinds. Books, movies, TV shows, video games, nothing's off limit. And make sure you stay away from those like and subscribe icons. Uh, My other question is, should I punch that title, kind of 80s sitcom style? Like, welcome to Don't Encourage Us. (laughs) Yeah, I think you should try it. We should have a couple different versions of that intro. Don't encourage us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like Steve Urkel style. (laughs) Did I do that? Welcome to Did I Do That? (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Okay, so what fiction have you been absorbing this week? A movie by the name of The Lost City. Okay, but that's our our, uh, title track. It is fiction. It is true. It's fiction. (laughs) I haven't really been reading anything that's fiction. I've just been reading maybe some nonfiction, some articles, keeping up with monkeypox, because that's, uh, <laughs> that's the latest virus that we should be looking out for. Yeah, you better, right? Mr. High Risk. Well, I watched uh, uh, Train to Busan 2 Peninsula for our movie. previous discussion. Yeah. So uh, now I can talk intelligently about that. I got a question for you, though. Did the creator of that want to make a heist film? A kid's movie or a sequel to Fast and Furious? I'd say yes <laughs> to all of those, those three. I don't know. I really saw more of a, as a heist film. There was also a zombie movie that took place in Las Vegas <sighs> that was similar. I mean, if you liked it, that's awesome. Um, I think a lot of people who like Zack Snyder like that kind of thing, but I think a lot of those people were internet bots. So I loved Train to Busan, and this movie was so, so different. The zombies were really sort of treated like a natural disaster, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember there was a heist movie that occurred during a flood where, uh, the, you know, there was like Mississippi or whatever had flooded, and they were going into like... Christian Slater or something? That sounds right. Yeah. And Morgan and- Freeman? That sounds also correct. Yeah. And so the obstacle in part was mostly other people, but in part, it was also the water. That's how this felt to me, at least the portions of it that felt like a heist film, is that the zombies had been downgraded from sort of the genre element to Uh just sort of an occasional flood like when they're driving along and the bad guys are shooting flares they may as well have been like blowing like dams on either side or like uh you know sandbags and allowing Mm -hmm. water to flood in because that's really all they amounted to so i thought that was really weird Uh not what i was looking for out of this film i think so that was kind of strange and then there was a bunch of stuff with the two kids really long periods where they were driving or doing cutesy little kids things with like remote control cars and stuff right it really felt like a kid's movie i mean the kids seemed totally safe the whole film at no point did they seem like they're in any real danger Uh that's very different than the previous movie and this one started off in my mind so positively because in the first eight nine minutes they kill a kid which Uh usually is a sign of a zombie movie getting pretty dark right but it was almost like they undid that very quickly does it make sense 
Yeah, I wonder if it had anything to do with what critics thought of the first one, or maybe commentary from critics in terms of how intense the first one is, and the director hmm. wanted to lighten it up, you know? Yeah, I'm or wondering. reach a larger audience, yeah. or he really wanted to make a movie set in the Mad Max universe, because it had that whole Thunderdome element in it. Very much so. The yeah. Driving around in the cars, and it really seemed like he spent the time between Train to Busan and Peninsula watching a lot of very popular movies and being like, oh, let's take a slice out of that. It did have that Mad Max feel, very, very. much so. Yeah, that like post-apocalyptic world feel mm-hmm. to it. Very Tina Turner-esque. So I watched that on uh, Canopy. Canopy is what exactly? It's an app. It's free. You plug in your free library card number, which I went and renewed, took five seconds. And then you have access to tons and tons of TV shows and movies. It's actually really good because there's a lot of stuff. And I don't know if this is intentional or not, but like somehow it's not on Netflix, HBO, Amazon for less than $7. Uh, It's not on Hulu. It's not, you know, you go through them all. It's not on Tubi. It's not on Freebie. It's not on all that stuff. And then you go to Canopy and it's there. I think it works with the libraries, right? Yes. So I think studios, if I'm not mistaken, and publishers have special agreements with libraries for everything they have or the most popular things in their collection where they just give away certain amount of digital copies to these types of services Mm -hmm. where they might not have those license agreements with a Netflix or a Hulu or an Amazon Prime video. Because I think they're getting it either at a deep discount or they're just getting it as part of like the library system that pays Mm -hmm. for that license. Yeah, that sounds right. And it's great. You know, when you check out a book, you have it for like two weeks or whatever, Mm -hmm. even if it's a digital copy. But with a movie, it seems like you stream it. And if they have two copies, how many people are going to be streaming Peninsula at the same time? Right. And then one hour and 48 minutes later, you can Somewhere. jump on board, you know, like yeah, yeah. next. So it's actually been really nice. I did it a long time ago and I forgot about it. And it's been super helpful for our podcast. Are you watching it on a laptop or you have it on your projector somehow? Or you're... Uh, I use my iPad and I have an adapter. I plug the HD cable for my projector into the adapter that goes into the iPad and I get super high quality. Oh, that's cool. I think people think because there are streaming services and there are sort of host platforms for those streaming services that you're limited to that, but there's so many adapters and things like that, that if you don't mind leaving some cables accessible in Mm -hmm. your home entertainment system, you can swap them really easy or buy little changers that'll allow you to swap it. But uh, if you do a little bit of that for, you know, just the price of the devices you might already have, like I can use my cell phone to stream Canopy to my projector and I don't even need to use uh, like wireless or Bluetooth, which lowers the quality and there's buffering issues and things like that. So you're just plugging directly into it. Yep. So no like degradation of the image or anything. No, and it's super high quality. It's actually even higher quality than my PlayStation, which is surprising. But I think PlayStation 4, they decided to go on the cheap end for that. So. It's very interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds really, really useful. And also the uh, Internet Archive, which I think I was calling the Internet Database, but it's the Internet Archive. And I don't like how things are organized. So when you look up something with a similar name to other things, you're going to get a thousand results that in no way meet your criteria. But if it has somewhat of a unique name, there's a good chance it's there, especially if it's been around for a few years and totally free as well. No commercial. Yeah, I'll check that out too. I think, again, people get the idea that because there are streaming services that you have to go through those, but you really don't at all. It's great. It just takes a little bit of work to get the connections the way you like them or to be able to access these apps or websites smoothly. But if you do it, 
and you know you don't need to pirate and you don't need to pay anything that's really cool crazy this that's why we get canceled big business comcast is going to give me internet ghosts for that that's right they're docking you right now they're listening to you on all your devices <laughs> <laughs> but as you mentioned today the project for today is the lost city the 2022 comedy by um, Paramount Films, directed by Aaron and Adam Nee. I don't know if you know the Nee brothers, but they are slated to direct the He-Man movie. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I hadn't heard of them before. No, they haven't done much. I, I did look at what they've done, and I didn't recognize any of it. I imagine they did something that's worth mentioning, but nothing that really I've seen or enjoyed or even heard of. But the He-Man movie, and they may or may not end up directing it and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But apparently that's what they have up next. Is anyone attached to it? play He-Man? Probably. I think I heard a couple of rumors a while ago, but at the pace things change these days, I, I don't think they're even worth looking up or remembering. Mm-hmm. I don't know who plays Dolph Lundgren's kid in the Rocky spinoffs or whatever, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was him just because there's a, a random connection there. You know? Right. He was in the original, right? From the 80s? Yeah, that was something else. Yeah, they put like a Willow character in there for no reason, and I don't recommend it. That's that's not a must-see. <laughs> very strange. Although I did have Courtney Cox in it. I don't know if you remember the He-Man cartoon, but it had a Courtney Cox character in every episode. <laughs> I just remember Skeletor, and then like how Skeletor became basically a meme for I, ages. I feel like you're making fun of Courtney Cox. I'm trying two not to. Two different characters. She did not play Skeletor. <laughs> I'm not to. That wasn't her. <laughs> Uh, all right. So where did you watch this film? I watched it here in New York in my no, I mean, room on Amazon how? Prime. I understand what go. you're asking me. All right. Yeah, so you watched, watched it on Amazon Prime and mm-hmm. you, I assume you had to pay for that, I guess. Is yes. That where yeah. we're at. Okay. No, it was like three bucks or something. I don't know. It wasn't very expensive. I watched it on Paramount Plus, but I still can't figure out what the plus in Paramount Plus stands for. It's definitely not content. They randomly add pluses to every streaming service now. So that's basically like Disney Plus, because they can't be original enough to name it something else. So they just add a plus and call it a day. Definitely could be that. Uh, It also occurred to me it might be a math equation and the executives haven't finished it yet. Like we know it's Paramount plus something, but we haven't figured out what that's going to be. Like we know we definitely don't have enough content for a streaming service. So how about Paramount plus an oil chain or a carpet steam cleaning, you know? I signed up three months ago and I'm still waiting to find out what I get for my money. The plus, the bonus, bonus miles, maybe it's discounts on groceries, <laughs> cash back. Air, airline <laughs> yeah. miles. You should give them a call and complain. It's Paramount plus airline miles. Okay, so as always, spoiler warning, we are going to completely spoil this movie and probably several others. But if you're interested in The Lost City, then head to Amazon or Paramount or, I don't know, your local dollar theater. Is that still a thing? (laughs) Maybe catch it on VHS if you can. (laughs) Uh, Watch it. Maybe you'll enjoy it. It's not the worst movie I've seen ever. So uh, again, heads up, we're going to completely spoil this film. It's certainly not the best movie you've seen. So there's that. Steve, why don't you entertain us with the tale of the Lost City? What's this movie about? Tale of the Lost City is about a romance writer who is on a book tour and she's wearing a sequin jumpsuit which is apparently a very important plot point point. throughout the movie remember that there's a the cover of her romance novel has a model his name is dash and he ends up going on a book tour with her she ends up ripping off his wig which is apparently very very funny she then gets kidnapped 
by a villain who is looking for what is it here? King Kellerman's Crown of Fire. So original. And played by um, Mr. Radcliffe from Harry mm-hmm. Potter fame. And he doesn't really go into why he wants this crown. He just wants it. He's from a very wealthy, kind of like a media mogul type of family that they don't really get into. Or does he get into it? And I missed it. There's no real reason why he wants the crown of fire or is he just- It's not a good reason. Yeah, I think the implication was that he's jealous of his older brother and he, for some reason, considers this a worthy achievement. Whereas I think it would probably be more like 13 stories down and a small blurb on your newsfeed. It wouldn't be the CNN headline. It would just be going by on the scroll like a Harry Potter finds jeweled crown just goes right, right at the bottom. Right, but he right, seems right. to think this will equal or surpass the achievements of his uh, successful brother. He reads a passage in her novel, which leads him to believe that she holds the key to figuring out where Mr. King Calamon's tomb is. Well, she uh, specifically in her romance novel had actual translation of a That's real right. ancient language. Yeah. Because her husband, who's now dead, we're told, was an archaeologist. And she must have studied archaeology. I think she said she did. In college, I think. And that's where they met, right? So she actually literally translated a dead language. He recognized that no one else has translated it. And he has like a fragment that he won't translate. Mm -hmm. It gets better. So he puts her on his private plane to this lost island. And he's bought the island, I believe. And he bought the southern half. Part of it, the southern, and that's that's an important plot point. He bought the part with the volcano. There's this lost city in, on this lost island, presumably, mm-hmm. or, or island. And he's forcing her to figure out exactly where this tomb is. She's telling him that she can't. He insists that she knows. He straps her to a chair, and she's still wearing her sequined purple jumpsuit, which is very important throughout the whole movie. <laughs> plot point. Yeah. So her sidekick friend back home who i think is her publicist manager representative of some sort i believe the technical term is doesn't matter doesn't matter (laughs) exactly a throwaway character and dash who is this cover model they figure out where she is because of her what is it her smartphone her watch that she's wearing because well when you're flying watches still do a great job connecting to the internet exactly and they figure out that she's on a plane somewhere Mm -hmm. in the middle of the atlantic Mm-hmm. And Dash, who is the cover model, remembers having trained with a guy named Jack Trainer, which mm-hmm. is hilarious because his name's Jack Trainer. It actually is Jack Trainer. He's not just a trainer. I'm glad you explained a great, that. A great part. Well, that was really important to this part of the uh, of the movie. They're like, oh, his name is actually Jack Trainer. You're pausing for the joke in the film. Right. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack Trainer, played by Brad Pitt is hired by uh, Dash and the sidekick and then ends up going to this island, ends up trying to rescue her. That was actually a great scene. He played that role really well, I thought, Brad Pitt, Mm -hmm. of like the hero, like the stereotypical hero who's like indestructible. And he has his sidekick, Dash, who's running behind him the whole time, trying to keep up. And he's like a special forces type of guy who's going to rescue her. He finally unties her, or not unties her, actually. He actually grabs her if she's sitting in a chair and then drags her through the jungle. There's a car chase. Jack Trainer ends up getting shot by a sniper, which ends up leaving our friend uh, Dash and her alone in the jungle. Then hijinks ensue after that, where Very she's good. trying to where she's trying to figure out you know, where this tomb is, where the crown is. They're being chased through the jungle by the bad guys, the henchmen. 
and uh, Daniel Radcliffe. During that time in the jungle, there's the typical kind of romancing the stone, buddy comedy type of thing, romantic tension built between the two characters, which is really kind of kind of forced, I'd say. And then, yeah, you want to take it from there. Go right ahead. So they are on the run in the jungle. They're bonding and getting over each other's similar personalities. They eventually, what do they get caught? Several times, sort of. It just seems like a repeated sort of, theme. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, There's... they're forced to, uh, like, well, what's her name? Uh, Joan Wilder, the character, is forced to translate, find their way through the tomb. They get to the actual location of the city or through the cave and the volcano. They get to the location. Predictable stuff happens. The good guys, seems like everything is lost. The volcanoes exploding and come and it's all coming down around them. They manage to escape. They catch up with Harry Potter and uh, ultimately they're rescued and everybody lives happily ever after. Right. Yeah, that's a really good summary. I thought that uh, that second part or the last uh, quarter was going to take longer to explain. But then thinking back on it, really, that's all that happened in there. It would take, it would take a lot longer if people hadn't seen this movie 12 times before. <laughs> exactly. So if you haven't seen this movie, imagine two people who are fish out of water, lost in the jungle, being chased by goons. They also want to find some sort of native treasure. And that's it. That's exactly what you would imagine happening is what happens. And between the running around, there's a couple pauses. So one where they jump into a hammock together, and it's really hard to stay in the hammock without one of them falling out. And that lasts yeah, a while. You're explaining this, but I feel like somebody could have guessed that that would happen. Oh, I'm sure you they're know? guessing like right some, now. Something yeah. awkward around the sleeping situation. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I said true, false, I'll bet you 100% people would go true. Awkwardness around the sleeping situation. So like if you ask if there's going to be a leeches scene, if they go in a river, true or false? <laughs> 100% accuracy. <laughs> That's right. This podcast is all about positivity. So let's give a solid minute to saying nice things about this film. What do you think? That sounds like a good plan. So I'm going to start the timer and I'm going to throw out a positive thing. And then you throw out a positive thing. And then I'll throw out a positive thing. And whichever one of us dies first loses. Or if the timer ends, then we both survive. All right. You ready? Sounds good. All right. In all honesty, I never realized how incredibly charismatic Brad Pitt is until I saw him in scenes with Channing Tatum. I was going to say the same thing, so now I have to say something else. At least this movie wasn't three hours long. That's right. could have been longer. That is very positive. Excellent. Actually, would have been more positive if the volcano had somehow erupted halfway through, but I'll take your positive statement. I thought the sound design was actually pretty well done. There wasn't anything jarring, like in a lot of other movies. They spent some time on it. You're just saying that because the last movie we watched lowered your bar. There's a big reason. Yeah. I wasn't distracted. Like I was during Pulse during the whole thing. Yeah. So I don't know if it's really the greatest sound design. Oh, that or was Comparatively speaking. Wow. You want to do another minute? Yeah, why not? Okay, I actually did laugh out loud once during this film. It was when Oscar tackled uh, Harry Potter and the Millennial Market segment, and when he was running away on the boat, and Oscar tackled him, and he goes, so stupid, you're running away, it's a boat, where are you going to (laughs) go? 
I actually thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I also thought it was funny when her friend uh, said that she found uh, the villain. She thought he was a little boy, but then she saw he had a, a beard. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> That's awesome. My Probably my most positive thing to say about this movie is it made me feel completely comfortable with my decision to cancel Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> I would say I really enjoyed the scene with Brad Pitt, the action scene. I thought it was really well done with him and Channing Tatum. I thought it was really silly the way that he went in there trying to rescue her. How he, hey, that's it. it. <laughs> and that's our podcast, everybody. It's great having you. You've got the be. summary of the movie. You know where to see it. We'll be back here next week. That should be it. We should just stop here. All right. If you're uh, if you're not in the mood for negativity, this is your chance to get off the bus. <laughs> we'll pause. And All right. Everybody who's still here. <laughs> you asked for it. Are you ready? Here's my five minutes on nut milks. <laughs> no but but seriously this movie left me with a lot of questions like it was it was complicated in a way i didn't expect there are a lot of mysteries i know mm-hmm. the idea of the movie is there's a mystery but i think there were like multiple layers of mystery within that i don't know if you, if you mind answering my questions i think it would it might help some people who had similar questions what do you think Sure, let's try it. Biggest question I had, the first thing that popped in my mind and was really distracting throughout the whole film because I felt lost. What kind of ape is Channing Tatum? (laughs) I mean, initially I would have guessed gorilla, but his face and ears make me think more chimpanzee. This is a positive podcast, remember? (laughs) Is he some sort of hybrid? Is this like a Congo situation where he was bred to guard jungle treasure? Is it something (laughs) like that? I think it might be. Yeah, that one really threw me off. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. All right. Yeah. So another question, this one I would like an answer on. I don't understand this. Did you notice at the end of the movie, they cut Channing Tatum's hair shorter? I did notice this. Why? Makes absolutely no sense. There were a lot of continuity errors in this movie. Was like, that an error? It seemed extremely intentional. I don't really know why they would do that. It seemed like the message of the film seemed to be in part that men with long hair can't be taken seriously. Is that what they were trying to say? I think so. I saw these behind the scene interviews. Like, you know, they're not really behind the scenes anything. They ask all these like light questions about how it was filming with everybody. And he kept talking about this wig and he went on and on and on about the wig and how when he put on the wig, it just had a mind of its own and how that's how he got into character. And so the wig was supposed to be like a really big part of the theme of the movie, I guess. It was very odd. Why not keep the wig the entire film? Because he's supposed to be a Fabio clone. That's the joke, Mm -hmm. right? So he starts off and he's got that long golden hair and it's a wig, but nobody knows it's a wig or you're not supposed to know it's a wig. And that was like a big part of what made the character visually distinct and comedic, Mm -hmm. right? It was funny that he had this hair. And if you imagine he keeps that through the whole movie, And then, you know, like where he's doing all these things, action adventure and the hair's whipping around and he's saying stupid things. It's pretty funny, slightly funnier, I guess, almost to the level of funny. And then he climbs out of the water at one stage or he goes through like a waterfall and he comes out the other end and there's no wig. The hair, Uh he suddenly realizes it's a wig and he's got like spiky hair. That's actually funny. And visually, there's a lot of potential for that joke throughout the whole film. But they dropped it early. In the first 15, 20 minutes, he loses the wig and he just has spiked up hair. Why? I think the wig was that it wasn't the real him, that it was a character he was playing and now he was the actual 
hero of the movie where you're supposed to feel like, oh, it's just a regular, he's, he's just a regular guy like everybody else. But to your point, having the wig would have made for a lot of funny moments, like especially when he's with Brad Pitt in that scene when they're trying to rescue her. I could have seen that being really silly, like the hair's just getting in their faces and they can't fight correctly you know what i mean like mm -hmm. those little comic elements that could have been good you know absolutely or he and doesn't have the wig on but he goes and gets it because he notices that Brad yeah, gets, that gets caught on things but nobody sees it yeah he goes and gets it they and he's like what are you so doing and he's like what do you mean because <laughs> he's like that would have been good but yeah he could have taken you. down a goon with the wig that would have been point, funny. That yeah. would have been good. Could have put it on. When they use the sequin dress as a decoy, they could have put the wig on that. That would have been funny. So many things. It could have been used to solve a puzzle. You know, one of the riddles in the uh, Lost City. That would have been funny. But to your point, though, it does seem like intentionally or unintentionally, one of the messages is that a man can't be taken seriously. Or I guess the shorter his hair is, the more seriously he's taken. Because in the beginning... He's just a total goofball. Uh -huh. And then he loses the wig. And you're supposed to take him a little bit more seriously as a romantic lead, but not like you're not embracing him as a fully legitimate character or person. And uh -huh. then in the very last scene, they buzzed his hair and gave him just like a tight buzz cut. He dropped his voice and he dropped the dumb act, a lot of it. And I think they were trying to make him like a serious, believable romantic lead at that point. But all they did was make him look like Curious George. Yeah, there were some really weird character shifts with him where he was mm. kind of really stupid through the beginning of it. Then it's suddenly he's more intellectual or really understands what's going on. And he's a deeper character. They'd have these pauses where he's talking about how he grew up. You know, I grew up with my mom and my sisters or whatever. I really wanted to make it like he gets really serious, but mm -hmm. it seemed like he was playing a completely different character. Because he changed his tone of his voice, his inflection and mm -hmm. his cadence and everything. He made better eye contact. His body language changed dramatically. Well, and then he go right back to being neurotic and goofy. I think this is kind of interesting because this is the moment where I thought that he was actually working with the bad guys. Mm. It was such a marked shift in his character that I was like, uh-oh, is there a mm. twist here where mm -hmm. he's been working for that guy the whole time? Because he had asked her for the map. Like, what is that? And it was the map that she was putting in her blouse mm -hmm. or in the jumpsuit. And I thought, oh, he's going to say, give me that. And the villain was going to show up with his henchman. And he had been paid all along to act like this goofy cover model guy or whatever. And I thought that's where the plot was going to go. Hmm. So the whole time I was kind of after that point, I was waiting for a twist like that. Mm -hmm. like where he mm -hmm. was supposed to be the romantic lead. But in fact, he was actually just working for the bad guys the whole time because he changed so dramatically. I don't know if that would have made it better or a train wreck. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't really play it out that way as I was watching it. I just thought, you know, maybe that's the case. And maybe she has to just make it on her own, which mm -hmm. turns it into a different type of scenario. Or she meets another character somewhere in one of the towns who like picks up where he left off. Yeah. And she realizes yeah. like what she really wants and he ends up getting killed or gets put in jail or something the channing tatum character mm -hmm. but that would have been a totally different movie but maybe more interesting yeah it's very different i don't know if, if it's funny is it funny at that point i think it's the problem is it's the tonal change and it stops being a comedy at that point it gets a little too real i think uh -huh. but i guess it's all in how you play it you'd have to set it up so that it was comedic but i think it would be jarring because it's clearly supposed to be a romantic comedy right in theory you With know two strong leads who are right. going to stay consistently throughout, like romancing the stone. What did you think about this whole idea? Like it was a very, it was a prop based movie. 
I thought with that mm-hmm. sequin jumpsuit, it really lost its, its whole meaning in the beginning. I know she was supposed to be fish out of water, but it was like, come on. It's so ridiculous and so over the top that that's not really funny. Well, it's anymore. been done so many times. It's the classic, I'll break off my heels. So yeah. I can run in them a bit. And they always swim in shoes in these movies. Mm-hmm. Like he has these really heavy boots and jumps into the water and she swims with these heels and can totally pull it off. And no one drowns and no one thinks to maybe take off their shoes before they jump in water or even your clothes, <laughs> right? Because you'd probably get pulled under by the weight of like really heavy clothes, but whatever. Uh, I have another question for you. So you may recall this from the film. It stood out to me several times. What happened to her clearly interesting archaeologist husband? They never explained it. They kept mentioning that he died. They described him as like super knowledgeable about this culture. Like he was an expert. He seemed like an Indiana Jones type. Mm-hmm. You know, they sort of alluded to him being the adventurous one. What happened to him? I honestly wondered if he was going to show up. It would have been interesting if he would have shown up, right? Why not? If there was that twist that I was talking about with Dash being the villain, and then later on she finds her husband again, or maybe he's held captive, or maybe the villains held him captive and she can't get anything out of him, something. I, To be honest, I fully expected him to show, but what I think they might have been doing is thinking about a sequel. I think they're thinking, okay, by the end of the first movie, then Joan Wilder and the monkey will be in love. And then in the second movie, her husband will show up and it'll be a love triangle. It'll turn out he was actually, they'll do it. They'll start with like a cold open kind of flashback thing to back when she was married to him. He'll be doing just cliche Indiana Jones stuff, neo-Nazi or somebody will take him captive, Uh whatever the whoever the cultural bad guy is that day, it'll look like he died or it'll look like he died in a trap or eaten by a shark or whatever, crushed by a boulder. And then fast forward to today, seems like an irrelevant, you know, bit in the beginning or not really part of our current story. Joan Wilder finds a new adventure for the two of them. She and the ape go on, you know, to this new adventure. And then the husband is there, right? right? He shows up and now, oh, dilemma love triangle until we realize Joan Wilder isn't really in love with this guy or her you know her ex-husband or he's actually the bad guy now or never the guy she thought she was or she outgrew him or they both end up with different people because he was rescued by a beautiful native woman and she nursed him back to health and you know everybody ends up with the person they should be with but that absolutely seems like the sequel that they want to write. Otherwise, mm-hmm. why mention him nine times? And why make re- him sound more interesting? That's a really good point. I wondered that the whole time because I was waiting for him to show up like he just said. And what would be the point of mentioning him really at all? Like you couldn't right. really have this movie be, you know, the romance novelist, but she's actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. She knows this ancient language. Done. She mm-hmm. doesn't need the husband. No. Right? And also... If you're trying to convey that she lost someone, I think that was the assumption we're supposed to make is it's like, oh, she had a husband and now she's single. That's partly why she needs love and we're supposed to feel good about her being involved with an ape. I think in this case, if that had been the point, they would have shown pictures of them. The only Uh reason not to show pictures of them together, like in the beginning, have a picture of her with him on the desk and he's got the pith helmet or the Indiana Jones hat or something on and they're together or whatever. And they're on an adventure or something. The only reason not to show him is because you haven't cast him yet and you think you might want to later. Oh, that's a really good point. Let me ask you this then. Do you think the director's ultimate goal is to turn this into some type of series? 
like a three movie I, I, series. I think they wanted to leave it open. Yeah, I mean, it was a big enough budget. They paid for Brad Pitt. I think we, you know, let's see if we can milk this and turn it into a franchise. I think that was the plan. You know, crank, did, crank one out every few years. How did this movie do? I had heard it did pretty well, but when I looked it up, it looks like it was fairly middling. We're looking at worldwide total shy of 200 million, so 190, which, you know, for the budget, it's not bad. What's the it's budget? Hard. 68 million. And you want to double that for right. advertising and marketing. It made its money back, but not by a lot. Interesting. I wonder if they, they will make a sequel. Why not? You know, there were so many places they could cut budget. And obviously they're going to want to try to keep Brad Pitt. Yeah. Even though that makes no sense. But if you choose, just drop some of the big set pieces a little bit and just have one or two more meaningful ones. And the actors don't take like a big pay raise or something. Uh, and you get a relatively inexpensive director. I think you could. Maybe don't market it too much. If you get a better script and it's funnier and there's more jokes in the trailer, I don't know. This might be a sinking ship. It's really hard to say. Sandra Bullock is great. I mean, she's very attractive and fun and interesting, but they don't have a ton of chemistry and you're stuck with that. You can't really abandon that element. I don't know if we'll get another one, but I think that was part of the plan was to have her husband introduce the love triangle in the sequels. That would be my guess. Yeah, I'll have to take a look and see if they're planning a sequel. They might already have it in the works or maybe that was greenlit yeah, already. Entirely possible. Because I could, I could see it working. I mean, it's possible I mean, that it could work what if it the is. script is better. If, yeah, yeah if, they, if it's funnier. If you get a better writer, some up-and-coming person who's very, very funny, has written some low-budget comedies and wants to stab at something that's higher budget, then they might really figure out how to bring the comedy out of this. I mean, conceptually, there's a lot of places you could go. Even though for all our critiques and criticisms of this particular movie, there's a lot. Of, I mean, it's pretty much an open book, the way you can take it, right? If it's sure. based on her next novel and that novel's an adventure somewhere else, you follow the characters. Maybe they they don't live happily ever after, you know, mm -hmm. but they have to re-team for this other adventure for whatever reason. You know, there's a lot of ways I could see it going. Bringing the husband back, that would be huge. I mean, you have enough material for 90 minutes for sure. I think so. Okay, uh, another question. How do you sneak up on someone with a dirt bike in the jungle? Very carefully. Were they pushing them? <laughs> Were they holding the handlebars and pushing the bikes through the jungle until they got close to Joan Wilder and then they hopped on and turned the engine on? I don't it understand. Was, They're not ninja yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, they just like all of a sudden they were right on top. You would hear them coming for a mile. Miles. Yeah, miles away. Minimum. Yeah. It's not like they were electric bikes. Yeah, it makes was, absolutely no sense. What in the, that was so unbelievably jarring and obvious. I can't imagine too many people didn't catch that. Where did that come from? Yeah, things just suddenly happened in that movie. There was very little buildup. There was very little backstory about mm -hmm. the characters that make you want to care about them at all. Mm -hmm. There's the stereotypical bad guy with his very surface level reason for getting this crown, which mm -hmm. spoiler alert is an actual crown made of emeralds or rubies mm -hmm. it's a, a seashell crown it's sort of a jewel of the nile kind of situation it's like a jewel of the nile or a romancing the stone type of scenario you know what i mean it's a very cookie cutter the oh, way yeah. everyone's set up here yeah the motivations right. are very whimsy at best mm -hmm. you know so let's talk about the uh oscar character the pilot so for those of you who aren't going to watch this movie the book agent 
who is on a parallel quest to try to get to where Joan Wilder and the ape are. And uh-huh. so she is taking planes and, you know, trying to get there and follow them. And she's also a fish out of water, even though she's not really in the jungle. And at one point she comes across Oscar, who's played by Oscar from The Office, who also played Oscar in The Office. So that actor is a cargo pilot and he agrees to fly the book agent on part of the journey. And then he ends up tagging along because he seems to be sexually attracted to her or stalking seems her. Seems to be. There was, okay. He was actually quite silly, I thought, even though he, he was, wasn't in the movie very long. It was too much at times, but a couple bits of it were okay. But I got, I got a serious question for you. Was yeah. he supposed to be a literal angel? I didn't think about him like that at all. I think they might have meant for there to be some religious fantasy in this movie. I think there were a couple elements of that. And I think he was supposed to be a literal angel, you know, like the Ark and a Covenant or yeah. the Holy Grail. I think this movie did a less refined, more um, difficult to swallow version of that kind of religious fantasy that's in Indiana Jones by having actually a literal angel be helping, which is why he was there and helped get the book agent there to to rescue them at the end so they don't die, I guess, in the water or whatever. And I don't know if you caught it, but at the very end when they're all on the beach in Hawaii, one of the characters asked him like, oh, Oscar, are you an angel? And he stopped being goofy for a second and he said how did you know i did notice that yeah but he i dropped the hear- smile and the ridiculous personality and said how did you know when he hands her a drink yeah i didn't hear what had been said before that so i just heard him say how did you know yeah and what i thought she meant was how did you know that i wanted this drink but i didn't no, hear she, the angel he part. said that you know she said oh oscar you're an angel he stopped smiling his face went totally serious Oh, I understand. Which is the first time that character ever did that. Yeah, so very right. strange. But, well, I thought his reaction was to the drink. I thought she had asked him something about the drink itself. I didn't hear that you're an angel portion. Mm. Well, the reason I ask in part as well is the post credit scene. I almost missed it. It came on fast enough that I happened to catch it. The post credit scene has Joan Wilder and the monkey in like a yoga class. And uh-huh. they're sitting with their legs crossed and they're you know, talking about spiritual stuff and they're breathing and relaxing. And presumably this is in Hawaii as part of the resort they were at in the previous scene. And behind them is Jack Trainer, And he's sitting there in the yoga class. And they're like, what, you're alive? Yeah, you know, humans only use 10% of their brain. So after I got shot, I just started using a different 10% of my brain. And here I am. That's kind of so funny. I, I thought he's a ghost or a spirit, like he's not really going to be there. But at no point did they give any indication that they are the only ones who could see him or things pass through him. He, it seemed weird, like he's just now back. He's just part of the cast again. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. again, to me, that only makes sense within the rules of the film if it's a kind of a religious fantasy element, right? Hmm. Either he and Oscar are angels or, you know, gods at work or some sort of spiritual force at work brought him back to life brought jack back to life it's really interesting i didn't think about this aspect of this movie at all i took everything very literally and why would you why would you think about this at all because it's certainly not a clear part of the film in no way is it similar to indiana jones no not at all or romancing the stone yes it really is just a copy of romancing the stone yeah right just a a poorer version of that that classic movie let's get into that right so 
obviously Romancing the Stone, but in addition to that, there are a bunch of other movies that did this movie better. So obviously Romancing the Stone, 1984 film directed by Robert Zemeckis. Great film. Danny DeVito, amazing, hilarious. Michael Douglas, really good in that. Kathleen Turner. What parts of Lost City did Romancing the Stone do better? All of it. 180 minutes. This is just uh, an inferior version of that film. And, and that movie's dated to some extent now. So I think that's the argument for an update. Uh-huh. But uh, I, there were a lot of Indiana Jones elements they were playing off of. But that's not a fair criticism because Romancing the Stone was obviously what if Indiana Jones was a romantic comedy. Uh-huh. So they're just playing off the same formula. That's not really a fair comparison. But when you have things like puzzles and ancient languages and you know riddles and traps and stuff like that, you're absolutely going to draw a comparison to Indiana Jones. And it's not a super high bar, at least for those elements. But this movie, I felt like they didn't even take a swing at a lot no. of that stuff. No, they grabbed the elements and just kind of threw them in there. It was exposition. They yeah. just made it exposition. Yeah. It wasn't even like pictures on a wall. It was just some scribbles on a parchment and a lot of talking, a lot of like, well, this means this, and these people felt this way, and the true treasure is blah, 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 and, and you're like, could you show some of this, you know, could you give me some sort of visual element to it, but no. Any other films that this movie reminded you of, or that you thought did elements of what this movie tried to do, but did it better? There's those goofy movies, there was that one with The Rock, where he's being chased through. You're talking about 2003's The Rundown, and I 100% agree, I 100%, wacky fish out of water jungle adventure, 100% Rundown did that better. There's the the deadliest game, I think, where it's like, there are people hunters that are chasing people through the, Mm -hmm. I mean, even uh, Predator. Is a, is a non-comedic version of this movie, right? Fish out of water, in a way, those soldiers, right? An unknown jungle getting chased down by the predator. And I think this is such a common movie trope, you know, the whole idea of a fish out of water scenario in a jungle setting. Well, you mentioned another one, Stand By Me, 1986. Mm, the leeches yeah. scene, oh, yeah. better. Yeah, way better. Already, already done. I thought of uh, Stranger Than Fiction. The 2006 Will Ferrell in the Thompson movie, because it kept coming to mind. The successful writer who's lost faith in herself, Emma Thompson, did that so much better. The uh, Black Woman Support Network, Queen Latifah, in that movie, she killed in that role. Like she Mm. came in to help Emma Thompson work on her novel so much better. Yeah, I think this movie really fails in a lot of ways because you don't really have that feeling that you know these characters and you understand their motivation or there's something that's really, really driving the plot Mm -hmm. forward. There's Mm -hmm. only just like save themselves. The bad guys are just bad. Even when you go back to Daniel Radcliffe's character, you would think that even in those scenes, he just doesn't have to just continuously be like the generic bad guy. There could be Mm -hmm. something else that's kind of driving his motivation for getting this crown, but they don't really get to the bottom of it. He's just a spoiled rich kid who's jealous of his brother, like you mentioned. And that's something that kind of Mm -hmm. flew over my head because it was really just a toss away line about. Well, and it's, it's not adequate motivation. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really fully explain or make sense. Like he's got an inadequacy that's driving him to extremes, but he's supposed to be a bad guy. And he just seems like your annoying kid brother. He's so non-threatening. That's why movies, let's say like Back to the Future, another Robert Zemeckis movie, 
they're so mm-hmm. brilliant because mm-hmm. even though the plot is pretty straightforward, what needs to happen, how he needs to get back to his time, there's so much nuance to it. And the motivations mm-hmm. are so strong for each character and how you know what's going to happen to Doc, how uh, Michael J. Fox knows what's going to end up happening to Doc and how the future is going to be so different if he doesn't change it in that moment. There's really like a drive for him to make everything go in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You really know mm-hmm. that and you feel it and you're you know rooting for the character. With these types of movies, they're so superficial. There's just throw these characters in there. You kind of know a little bit about each one and we'll throw them in a jungle setting, have a bad guy chase them until the end, which is predictable from the beginning. Who's going to come out on, ahead? There's no real twists in this movie of any kind. Like I mentioned, that would have been interesting with Dash. You know, maybe he was a villain or they find a husband like you had mentioned. That would have been really interesting because it just kind of drives the plot in a different direction, even though they're still yeah. going for the same final. They all have the same motive. It doesn't mm-hmm. change that, but it changes the elements around it. It just freshens things up a little bit. Just doesn't move in a linear plot. Yeah, well, talking about character, it really stood out to me in this film that, I mean, everything you said about how to improve character or pointing out problems with character, I think are absolutely true. But one of the things that occurred to me, and I think was perhaps a fundamental serious problem with the fabric, with the, you know, the design, the AutoCAD of of this particular film from the start is that you have two major characters. They're supposed to have romantic tension, will they, won't they, that kind of thing but they're both neurotic and having two neurotic characters going, Ooh, a spider or sort of taking turns here and there being slightly more comfortable. Like, Oh, I, you know, I'm prepared for this or I can handle it. Don't be silly. I'll handle the leeches. They kind of traded that role where one minute they were both neurotic and fish out of water. And the next minute, one of them was sort of oriented and uh-huh. instead of it feeling like a compatible couple that compensated for each other's weaknesses in this environment, it felt like two people who have absolutely no business surviving 10 hours uh-huh. in the jungle. Yeah, that's you a good know? point. It was very off-putting. If you knew a couple like that, you would think, oh boy, I hope they stay in their comfort zone. You know, Because the minute they get out of it, like they're going to just absolutely melt down because neither one of them has even a, an emotional skill set that right. will help through this. Let right? alone survival so, skills for a jungle, right? Yeah, I just don't think audience members, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but just the general concept of an audience member, I don't think audiences as an, an amorphous metaphorical thing respond positively to two neurotic characters uh-huh. in an action-adventure romantic comedy. I think it's too weak to have for a cornerstone of the film to be two neurotic characters both being neurotic repeatedly it's not sexy it's not funny it's it's just too much to that point i think for any type of buddy comedy or buddy film there has to be that juxtaposition between the two characters like something like planes trains and automobiles let's talk about similar characters right 21 jump street the Mm. 2012 movie in that one i think that movie did a better job of channing tatum playing dumb to be funny he was you know, really funny in that. Yeah, he was. And I think you could say, oh, it's chemistry with Jonah Hill or whatever. But I think it's design of the characters more than chemistry. Uh-huh. I think in that one, Channing Tatum was dumb or the character was dumb, but relatively gung ho or brave. And he had uh-huh. moments of being like, I don't know. I don't know. And they both were sort of neurotic briefly. But there were so many ways in which they were very different. They could play off of each other. And it was funny. And every time they agreed 
it was like relieving tension in a pleasant way. Uh-huh. Like they've aligned again. That's great. Cause there was always that kind of push pull and different ways of looking at things. Uh-huh. This movie, you have two neurotic characters who both drink wine and wear expensive clothing and have nice lifestyles and good skin and would never be caught dead in the jungle. And where is the entertainment in that? Right. If it was a horror movie and they both got killed, sure. You know, Uh that's somewhat entertaining, but I don't think it's romantic. I don't think it's comedic. I think it can be, but if you're going to do that, the characters have to be extremely different in other ways. And you're better off just putting them in a city environment where the neuroticism doesn't stand out so much. Yeah, those similarities between characters in a setting like that, it really doesn't work. That's a really good I th- point. I, I was like, nothing's working here, yeah. right? But really what it comes down to is they're too similar, like yep. two sides of the same In, in same very coin. specific ways, uh-huh. very specific ways. And then, again, similarities are good as long as you have some really key differences. And if you go back to Romancing the Stone, Michael Douglas shows up, he comes out of the jungle, he's got the shotgun and he is everything that Kathleen Turner isn't, Uh right? But then as the movie goes on, you discover they have some playful characteristics in common and they both kind of bicker and it's very amusing. They're clearly not opposites. Uh But initially, and in terms of neuroticism and comfort in the jungle and all that kind of stuff, they are, they're not both fish out of water. It makes for a very believable ending that they could end up together. Yeah, right. right. Because they're not so different and there's that evolution of their relationship. It's the classic formula where if you've never seen one of these movies before, when they meet, your thought is, oh, they're going to hate each other. Uh And then as you watch the film, you're like, oh, no, actually, they have a lot in common. That's cool. Oh, it's so great. They're together. I was rooting for that. So Uh this movie had zero of that. Zero. It's not like her ex-husband, we're told, never really cared for her. And she had to be in the caretaking role. And so Uh now the fact that, yeah, they're both neurotic, but Channing Tatum is a caretaker and he has a lot of respect for women. And so, oh, that's what she needs. And we're kind of rooting for her to get it. They almost went there, or maybe they think they did, but they almost got there a couple times. And then she started taking care of him. And I was like, wow, they're just swapping roles in multiple ways over and over. And I'm sure they're like, well, that's a modern relationship, but it's not funny at at all. No. <laughs> and I, I shouldn't be thinking at one point in the movie that he might be a bad guy. Right. You know what I mean? no. if they don't because want your brain, me, your brain shouldn't be trying right. to make this better. Yeah. You <laughs> shouldn't be trying to turn this into a funny comedy movie. I shouldn't have been sitting there thinking about where's her husband? Where's her husband? Why do they keep mentioning him? But they did. I mean, but I did. And they could have added some comedic elements with those henchmen that seemed to be such a prominent part of the whole movie. They were all yeah. interchangeable. No, they were setting it up too with that one who was like a local. Oh yeah, and then what? It didn't even matter. At the end, he's like, "I'm just going to take the boat." But how is that a blow against the white colonists? You know, he just took his boat. He took his boat and left them a uh, crowbar. He tried to kill people the whole time. He didn't Uh make one comment about not killing people. That's it. If you're a henchman and you've watched multiple people die, and you're going to kill one person, would it not be Harry Potter? Right. I just don't understand. It's missed opportunity. I think this opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Even though I did think that Daniel Radcliffe was, he is a very good actor. And I think if he was given more to do or more background or something to act against or someone to act against, mm. I think it would have been much more interesting instead mm-hmm. of just being this one dimensional villain. Did he have a full dimension? Probably he, not. He was, no, I he mean, was, was... he was like 
half of one dimension and that dimension was spoiled greedy rich kids yeah Yeah. that's it insecure and spoiled there wasn't even the rest of that dimension present how do you get villain out of that that's that character that i just described that he played is a villain in a film about taking over the family business Uh you know or about a a woman who marries a man who's wealthy and she thinks her life's going to be amazing maybe he qualifies as a lifetime villain under those circumstances but even then he'd have to like sleep around or do more than harry potter did in this film i've seen a few films with him in them i don't know if i can comment on his acting ability but he certainly has not found the roles to really let him stretch out that i've seen i saw guns akimbo and i definitely think he was doing something different there and he was much better in that than he is in this i think it was just an attempt to get the millennials to come see the film it's a pretty flat script overall well, with with think, some moments that I thought could have could have gone somewhere. I think having more Brad Pitt would have been funny. Yeah, like, but that's the thing, right? You can't rely on stunt casting to fix your movie. If anything, yeah. honestly, as much as I loved him in this film, I thought he was great. I really did enjoy his performance and the scenes he was in. I thought he played it very well. And it also fits his Hollywood persona of being... Uh-huh sort of like not that worked up about this. I'm just in this film. So I liked all of that. But for stunt casting, he should have been in it less. The fact that he was in it so much and they brought him back in the post credits, I think is- So it really threw you off. Well, no, no. I think it's great. It's just commentary on how weak the rest of the film is. You shouldn't need him that much, which they did. They really needed him. He needs to be on the poster for a variety of reasons. Not just to put people in the seats, but because- his scenes were the better scenes. He had uh-huh. better chemistry with the monkey than Sandra Bullock did. There's so many parts where the movie benefited from his presence too much. You may as well make him the central character. Yeah. So, you know, again, I can't argue against putting him in the film more. I'm just saying there were a lot of things about this movie that made it tepid and flavorless. And I don't think it was really the actor's fault. So then stunt casting needs to be, you need to extend it and extend it and extend it because it's one of the few things that works in this case. Yeah. If everyone would have been on the same level, this would have been the type of movie where the script was really strong. The characters were really strong. Then you throw someone like that in there. He just becomes part of it. A mm-hmm. movie like Snatch or any one of those ensemble comedies, right? I'm thinking like mm-hmm. The Gentleman or whatever, where everyone's so unique such a good mm-hmm. character, then it's just one person doesn't steal the show and then leave you to wonder, hey, where did that guy go? Oh, he's not coming back. That sucks. Now I got to deal mm-hmm. with these other characters that are so much more flat than that. Character. You knew he wasn't going to survive for very long because they weren't obviously riding him out. He wasn't like, I got to catch a helicopter out of here, but you've got me for 15 minutes. So the only way he's going to exit in a movie like that is if he dies. He's not on the poster. He's a bigger actor than both of them. So Uh a bigger name anyway. So his name would have been at the top of the billing. Maybe I'm spent too much time thinking about movies. Other people were surprised when he was killed and they tried to play it for laughs, which in a clearly family friendly PG 12 film like this, splattering someone with blood and having that go on and on like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh You know, sure. If that's what you got. But this just, that the kind of humor wasn't this film. No, that was a little too risque in a way. I guess that and what the naked leech scene, I guess, were the two attempts to make it more adult. If he would have shown up in a helicopter and then left in a helicopter and he's like, hey, where are you going? He's like, oh, I got to go. And he's like, what Another about rescue. us? 
yeah, yeah what, what about us? He's like, no, there's only one seat on the chopper or something. You got like, it. See you, later. you guys got it. And like <laughs> dropped a bag, you know. That, from that would have been really funny. Maybe yeah, we should I mean, write the sequel. I think it could be better. So we could um, take maybe a, a weekend <laughs> and write the whole thing. Start to finish and start casting by next week. We'll just find a Curious George script and rework it in a couple hours. That's all I have to say about this movie. If you liked it, that's great. Good on you. These are kind of movies that are meant to be enjoyed. Some people can turn their brain off and really get a lot out of a film like this. And that's awesome. That's great. It's like watching golf. You can kind of take a nap and relax. And, you know, maybe there were some things in this movie that just make you laugh that you just think are funny or you just really love one of the actors. And if that's the case, enjoy, you know, by all yeah. means, you know, buy it on DVD or whatever. I think or that's VHS. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I have too. Let me ask you yeah. also, and again, in the, on the subject of this film, but I think we're kind of done talking about this film. What would you do with this IP? Like if you were, if they were like, hey, you know, we're kind of done with Lost City and uh, let's throw it to the new guy in the department, Junior, Gopher, Steve. Uh, can you give us a pitch on this? Where would you go with this intellectual property? I think I would bring the husband back. I think that would be a... So you'd make a sequel. You'd make a film I would, even though I think the characters are very flat. I think maybe if you took the sequel and took the time to maybe have like some type of backstory around each character, maybe do some type of flashback, how she got into the, the romance novel genre, the husband, maybe it could be salvageable. Because then you'd establish that strongly, like the backstory of the main characters. And maybe from there you'd really care about them moving forward and put them into a new adventure. I think that's really what's lacking in the movie, besides the fact that they're both neurotic. But if you were going to save it, I think that would be the only way to save it. You need to know more about them, I think, in order to kind of have you hook into one of them is like, oh, this is who I'm rooting for. That's really what's missing with this. There's room for a new adventure. I don't think that's the issue. There's a, a new plot, a new adventure, a new new something that they can go on. I don't yeah, know what I, it, I would I like scrap that. it completely like i, I, I like, say, like yeah, oh, yeah. there's really nothing here but you still have the problem that we were talking about that they're both neurotic well and so that's, but to that's your point issue. no but i think you were fixing that right so Trying. let's say you know the sequel picks up it's later um joan's been working on her new novel inspired by the real adventure and she's cranking it away or whatever whatever random thing she's writing right and the monkey went to like survivalist school or he decided he was going to get like an education oh i like worthy of her yeah so he like goes to study history but he realizes he can't learn that stuff he's never going to get the hang of it so he goes to survival school he's on like a reality survival show and so you can still have him be bumbling and comedic but actually give him like toughen him up and give him some actual skills so that uh-huh. he thinks he's kind of a michael douglas in romancing the stone character but he's really not but he's not neurotic anymore and he's still kind of delusional and he's you know driven by optimism but he actually has built some skill and some toughness so that he thinks he's ready for the jungle he feels prepared or whatever adventure they go on he thinks he's going to be ready for that environment which makes it kind of funnier, especially if she's trying to look out for him and sort of protect him from himself and filling in the gaps in his actual ability. Then you have two people who rely on each other and are a good fit in a lot of ways, but they're not both like, oh my God, that leaf touched me every five minutes, you know? Yeah. So I, I think, think that to your point, you can develop them in between or, you know, in the beginning and then fix the dynamic. If you did fix a dynamic and you had him 
like being more of a strong adventurer, like he's a survivalist now, and maybe she's picked up a completely different skill set or a skill set that happens to work in a new environment. That would be mm-hmm. kind of funny. The ancient languages thing is her skill set in this one, and that she's, you know, brilliant but writing romance novels. I wonder what she could be doing in the meantime that would happen to be really useful for this new adventure. I don't mm-hmm. know what the answer to that would be, but it would be kind of interesting to see that dynamic. Like he picks up these new skills, she does too, but you don't realize that until later on in the movie. You just yeah, kind of, oh, maybe yeah, you cool. feel like, oh, these yeah, are the yeah, same yeah. two neurotic characters, but all of a sudden he has like, wait a minute, how did he do that? And then you figure out like, oh yeah, he, you didn't see me on that, you know, like Survivor 27 that I won, you know, I, I yeah, learned yeah. how to do X, Y, Z. That would be kind of funny, but the reveals would have to be not so obvious and not so quick. So you think you're watching a similar movie in the beginning, but it takes a turn. That's a little risky because it didn't do that well. So you might need to hit the audience right up front with interesting changes to the character to get them to come in and be like, oh, that could be good. That looks funny. It would make the trailer funny. I get that from a pure enjoyment standpoint, it would be better if, it, if you thought this was the same old boring thing and then, oh no, it's actually quite good, right? But I don't think word of mouth on a sequel is gonna save this franchise. I think you gotta come right out of the gates with everything that you can think of that makes this a better movie. Then you start with whatever they had, whatever positivity they were able to garner, which is two minutes from us, I think. About that, yeah. um, And then you just come out, right? Well, this is what we added. This is why it's funnier. There's actually hilarious jokes in the trailer. I think you need that or else the sequel dies before, <laughs> before it's born. Yeah, that's a good point. Because people are going to be referencing the other movie and thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, this is really the same movie. That's not right, very and- good. Anyone who goes back to watch this movie for the first time to decide if they want to watch a sequel need to know in the trailer for the sequel why it's better than this movie. I hadn't thought of the trailer. I was just thinking about it in terms of just the movie. Like you just go in there, you're watching the movie. From a good point. Entertainment standpoint, yeah, absolutely. That's a much better film if it's surprising and interesting and all that. But I think you have to. you or I or we would have to bring those surprising elements in different ways. Anything we can think of to make it more obviously funny Uh and appealing and romantic, we've got to put that. If the dead husband is in it, he's in the trailer. Yeah, that's a good point. We got to do all of that. Whatever the treasure is, has got to be in the trailer. Everything. We got a lot of work to do is what you're saying. They're in the trailer, right? (laughs) If they're dodging poison darts, they're in the trailer. You know what I mean? (laughs) The answers to those puzzles are in the trailer. Yeah, you the start ending by is writing, in the trailer. You write a trailer first, you know what yeah. I mean? Because otherwise, yeah. what are you going to get? You're going to get nine housewives who think it's funny because she's a romance novelist or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's quite a challenge with a sequel to make it much better than the original, make enough changes to it that it doesn't feel so unfamiliar to mm-hmm. the audience, but also fresh enough that you're like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. Oh, that actually looks funny, you think. And I like Sandra Bullock. Oh, Brad Pitt's in this one. Oh, was he in the last one? I don't know. I'll go watch it. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That wasn't great. But it looks like Brad Pitt's in the sequel a lot more. And oh, it looks like they've got kind of a funny dynamic. And there were some funny jokes. I'll see the sequel. Why uh-huh. not? Right? Like, you've got to win people back or make it look like it's a total reboot. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> new actors, new director, new writer. <laughs> Same title. Maybe it'll just be uh, the Lost City Plus. (laughs) 
with additional Lost City content. Yeah. <laughs> with extra bonus content. More monkeys. And the director's commentary. So when I when I thought about what I would do with this, what came to my mind after, just after finishing it is I would do like a cartoon or like a live action kids show. And I would have the same main characters, but I would age them down to like 13 or 14. Because I think it's funny when you do like a Disney kids show and every week it's a different lost city, you know, and you just have this repeated kind of cute romantic tension between tweens. There's probably a a quicker way to say that betweens. And they go on these really light adventures with not a lot of actual history or archeology, span which is absolutely this film, right? So you just do that. And it's a series of made for TV, low budget movies on Disney or whatever. You know what I mean? I like the idea because it could really set up a formula, right? Like a 30 minute episode Mm -hmm. or whatever the setup, what that lost city or lost place is, or the mystery, it could be on the seas. It could be in jungle environment, desert environment, city environment. Yeah, that would yeah be and every week the 13-year-old girl is writing another, she's doing another video on her YouTube channel or writing another short book or something. And so she's been researching this thing. And this week it's Egypt and next week it's uh, Thailand and next uh-huh. week it's Antarctica or whatever, right? And they're just going together and her dumb, handsome friend is, you know, always going with her and trying to like, and there's a little bit of flirty tension, but they actually gradually develop into the tween equivalent you know or the teenager equivalent of a romance but it you can give it time because it's so many episodes uh-huh. i think that's better it's lighthearted, it's cute it's fun and that's about how deep this film goes but i think that's a good idea it gives you a lot to work with as a series yeah and you don't need to do a big budget you know what i mean you can just do sets on stages and uh-huh. You can do some Nickelodeon level puzzles for them to solve. Or it's a cartoon. Or just a cartoon, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It just doesn't need to be expensive. It doesn't need to be hard. Just very formulaic, very along the surface, recurring villain if you want, you know, who's even younger than they are. And that's funny, I guess. Uh-huh. But has a beard, like in mm-hmm. this one. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever the 12 year old equivalent of that would be like a suit. He wears a suit. He wears a suit, yeah, for sure. Something uh, like that. A bow tie, and has a cane and a monocle. But a he's cane. Twelve year old with a cane. He's like Mr. Peanut, but he's twelve years old <laughs> and human. That's pretty funny. All right, well, good. That was another episode. I think we did it. Next time, dead heat. Next time, most likely dead heat. Thanks a lot for listening. Remember, stay away from writing a review. No liking, no subscribing. Don't encourage us. Wah wah.